Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Ready to start talking to your kids about financial literacy? Meet Greenlight, the debit card and money app that teaches kids and teens how to earn, save, spend wisely, and invest with your guardrails in place. Parents can send instant money transfers, automate allowance, and more. Plus, keep an eye on spending with real-time notifications. Join more than 6 million parents and kids building healthy financial habits together on Greenlight. Get your first month free at greenlight.com ACAST. That's greenlight.com ACAST. Welcome to On the Ball with Rick Buecher. Here's your host. Let's send it over to Rick Buecher. Rick Buecher. This is On the Ball on the United Wecast Network, and I am Rick Buecher. You can see me on FS1, hear me on Fox Sports Radio, and you can read me on the Fox Sports app and at foxsports.com. You can also follow me on both Twitter and Instagram at Rick Buecher. I'm a lot of places. There's only one place you can hear me talking about story angles and perspectives that you are not likely to find anywhere else, primarily but not exclusively involving the NBA, and that is here. And I have to say, I'm excited that I just got through that intro without hacking up a lung. As you can probably tell by the sound of my voice, I'm a little under the weather. For those of you who've been wondering where the podcast episodes have been, that's my explanation. I went off for the holiday and I actually took my recording equipment with me on a trip back east for the holiday weekend. But my grand plan to crank out an episode in between the turkey and pumpkin pie was, well, it proved to be just a little too grand. And then the flu that has been going around got me in its clutches coming out of the holiday weekend thereby extending my inability to get behind the microphone. Although I will say I tested uh, I tested myself for COVID, and I don't know about any of you, but I, I was excited that I didn't have COVID, that I just had a regular cold, even though from what I've heard, this is a, uh, a cold that, that lingers. So anyway, I'm excited to be back. I uh, hope you can tolerate the sound of my voice. May have to make a few stops here and there, but uh, we'll we'll edit those out. So, anyway, um, the delay actually may have been just as well because what I want to to talk about and what I am going to talk about the state of the Golden State Warriors appears to have evolved over the last two weeks. And what I may have said uh, a week ago or so is different than what I'm saying now. There have been developments. And I'll explain all that in a minute. In a minute, first, I think we need a brief synopsis of what we've seen so far from the Warriors. Their title defense, which always promised to be a challenge among sensible people, was complicated and made more daunting by Draymond Green punching Jordan Poole, and most important, a video of the incident getting leaked. 
And although it's never been publicly announced if the Warriors found out who did it and what action, if any, was taken, the buzz around the team is that it was copied off a security camera by a security guard who saw the opportunity to cash in with TMZ. Now, I've talked to a number of teams and they say the practices are all recorded. And so the ability to be able to strip a clip off of that security footage is relatively easy. The people who have access to that footage is also very easy to discern. It's a very limited group. So there is no doubt the Warriors have had the ability to figure out who leaked the video and take appropriate action. And since it was team footage and the people who have had access to it being pretty limited, I'm going to guess they figured out who did it, dismissed them, and simply didn't publicize it because they didn't want to draw any more attention to the incident than it already has received. Green Punching Pool created a rift that was particularly painful because of what the Warriors are attempting to do, which is to mold a young group of James Wiseman, Jonathan Kaminga, and James Moody into dependable, serviceable contributors off the bench as role players. Something that they, in their individual uh, careers, have never been asked to do before. It's a little bit different from, say, Jordan Poole. Jordan Poole had the opportunity to do it during two years in which nobody was paying attention to the Warriors. There were no expectations for the Warriors. These guys are in a different circumstance. And Jordan Poole was given the opportunity to play a big role, take lots of shots. Again, these guys are not getting that opportunity, and yet they're lottery picks trying to live up to where they were selected. A lot going on there. Now, when I first thought it was necessary to do an episode on the state of the team, as I said, it was about two weeks ago, and it came after I had spent several days and games around the Warriors. And I was not surprised that they were struggling. It was only how much and why. The Warriors came into the season with the philosophy that they would experiment with their lineups and combinations and they were giving healthy minutes to 10 or 11 players almost every night. And they'd also clearly made the decided uh, made the decision to give Wiseman, Kaminga and Moses uh, steady minutes and live with the growing pains. Not thinking it would cost them wins. But here's the problem. With Klay Thompson and Draymond Green struggling as well out of the gate, Steph Curry's stellar play, which it has been, wasn't enough to carry them. And so after a five-game losing streak, Steve Kerr, the coach, cut down his playing rotation and scrapped the youth movement. The biggest issue the Warriors have been dealing with is terrible team defense. Again, not a surprise if you look closely at them because they don't have a lot of individually great defenders anymore. Whatever issues Clay Thompson has had or is having with his shot, 
and his long-range touch has improved since the start of the season. But he's still shooting a career-low 40% overall. And that's a reflection of the fact that he can't get the same separation or elevation for his shot inside the arc. But it's his defense that has really fallen off. And I find it I find it a little comical that there's this Twitter beef about people who were ragging on Clay and now Clay's shooting well and now everybody owes Clay an apology and that back and forth. Look, Clay's still not anywhere close to what he was when he was making building his Hall of Fame career. It is yes, he's shooting the three ball better. But the rest of his game is not what we're used to seeing. And considering how much defense relies on athletic agility, I'm just not sure how much of that he can get back. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. And with Jordan Poole, the Warriors' third guard, never having been much of a defender, you can see the problem. Opponents have a weak spot to attack almost every minute of the game because one or the other of those two guys is going to be on the floor. And if you look around the league, just about every team in the league has a talented wing scorer or two. This is why the hope that James Wiseman could play and be a rim protector was so vital because the Warriors knew that they were going to be compromised on the wing in a way that they'd never been before. And Kavad Looney is a great defender and a smart player. I love watching him play. He's an important, integral part of their team. But he's not a shot blocker. He's not that kind of a defender. And so he's not going to be able to compensate for what Clay and Jordan are not able to do. What I was surprised to learn being around the team is that the punch had created a division between the young guys in the veteran court that had not healed. I was around them early on in the season, and everything that I was getting from talking to the players was, this is really about Jordan and Draymond sorting things out. The rest of us are good. We're good. Those two really need to find uh, a, a common ground. And so... I thought, okay, well, that they can they can find a way to do that. That's not that's gonna not gonna interfere with the team in a big way. But apparently, that hasn't happened to the point where everybody else is comfortable. Guys have kind of picked sides, which would explain why the defense, or I should say this, guys had picked sides. Because that's what I want to get to in this podcast. Things, things may be shifting. But in any case, that would explain why the defense has been as bad as it is. Because the young guys are the ones 
that Kerr has been trying to convince that their effort on and attention to defense is what the team needs most from them. Now, again, they're lottery picks. They're looking around and they're seeing other guys that were picked around them who are playing much bigger roles offensively than they are. And everybody pays attention to those statistics. And their statistics comparatively don't look very good. So there's an itch to anytime they get the opportunity, I got to score. And that's just not what the Warriors need from them. So there's that natural battle. Playing minutes are also the one carrot a coach has to get players to do what they want. And Kerr couldn't use that at the start of the season because he was hoping the young guys would develop with steady minutes. The punch, meanwhile, muzzled the team's defensive conscience and director Draymond. If Kerr was going to have a voice in the locker room that was going to echo what he needed from the young guys, Draymond would normally be the guy to supply that. But he couldn't because of this divide, because of the punch. They were looking at him, and him being demonstrative was not going to cut the mustard. And look at the rest of the team. If Draymond isn't holding guys accountable for their defensive effort, who will? All of that came to a head before the holiday weekend. Draymond apparently had finally had enough tiptoeing around pool and not saying anything about his defense, which was as bad as ever at a time when the Warriors needed it to be better than ever because of Clay's struggles. Now, it's one thing when you're physically unable to move and having trouble staying in front of your man, which is Clay's problem right now. And it's another when you simply don't want to expend the effort or energy, which is Poole's problem. Seeing how long and athletic Poole is, how well he moves laterally, how quick he is overall, there's no physical reason Poole can't be a good, if not great, defender. He's not going to be Clay because he's not as big, he's not as strong, but he's built very, very similar to Pacers guard Tyrese Halliburton, who is a far better defender. And I would say simply because he tries. Now, here's an interesting sequence of events. After the Warriors gave up 130 points in a double-digit loss to the Phoenix Suns, who were playing without Chris Paul. Draymond made a point of listing the Warriors who were good individual defenders. And he listed eight players. Steph, Clay, Kevon Looney, Andrew Wiggins, himself, Kaminga, Moody, and Dante DiVincenzo. The only player he left out who played any sort of consistent minutes or is playing any sort of consistent minutes, Jordan Poole. Now, that game was on the road in Phoenix. And two days later, the morning of their next game against the Knicks at home, chances are they played in Phoenix. Next day is an off day, so they're not meeting. Then the next day, they're playing the Knicks. There was a players-only meeting that morning where... Michael Green said the elephants in the room were addressed. Clay Thompson, keep in mind, after a decisive win over the Knicks, had a smile 
on his face talking about how Draymond had a lot to say in that meeting and that it needed to be said. And this is the same Clay who, after a shooting contest won by him and Steph in the preseason, said it was really nice to humble Jordan Poole. Now, I'm not suggesting there's bad blood or resentment between Clay and Jordan. But if Clay is going to take sides between Poole and Draymond, you can bet he's riding with Green. Kerr got into the act supporting his old guard, and Draymond specifically, two games later. By letting the young guns fend for themselves against the New Orleans Pelicans. Now, he could have done it the very next game against the Houston Rockets, but it might not have taught the lesson that Kerr was looking for, which is, unless you stop worrying more about your offense than your defense, we're not going anywhere against the best teams. And the fact that the Rockets and Pelicans games were on back-to-back nights gave him the cover that he was just load-managing his vets. Now, that's my theory. Speaking to a former GM, he gave me another one that has some plausibility. And more important, I share this with you because it gives you insight into how GMs and coaches operate and think in the NBA. Not only how they think, but how they think each other thinks. It's why people from the outside playing Monday morning quarterback explaining or criticizing why a coach or GM made the moves that he did have very little chance of actually being on the mark. There's so much going on behind the scenes. I just told you my theory based on being around the team and having a few conversations with people in the organization. But the former GM also continues to have contact with people in the league and I'm sure even people in the Warriors organization And this is how he explained what Kerr did against the Pelicans. The former GM agreed with me that Kerr skipped the Rockets game because playing his young guns against that team still might have produced a good showing, if not an outright victory. And that would have undermined the lesson that he was trying to teach. But the value of playing the youth brigade against the Pelicans is that New Orleans isn't exactly a proven team either. Now, they were a nice surprise last year, and they've got the third best record in the West as I record this. But you wouldn't call them star-studded. Brandon Ingram and C.J. McCollum have been great for them. But they're still borderline all-stars. Zion, as I covered in the previous podcast, is a special talent, but he is non-existent defensively. He's one of those players who is great, but doesn't necessarily make his team great. Look at his flashy stats, and then look at his winning percentage, or the Pelicans' winning percentage when he plays. They don't add up. The point Kerr was trying to make, according to this GM, former GM, is that he can't afford to play Kaminga and Moody or Ryan Rollins or Patrick Baldwin Jr., a couple other young guys that the Warriors are trying to develop. He can't play them steady minutes because they can't compete even against a team relying on equally young guys like Herb Jones and Najee Marshall and Jose Alvarado. Basically, that the Pelicans' young reserves 
are more talented and capable than the Warriors' young reserves. The perspective around the league is the curse should be biting the bullet, that he should be playing Kaminga and Moody and even Wiseman and coaching them up, living with their mistakes, finding a way to minimize those mistakes and still churn out some wins. I get the conundrum for Kerr. One of his principles, one of the principles that has made this team dynastic is that no matter who you are or where you were drafted, you earn your minutes. And he takes that approach in lockstep with Steph and Dre and Iguodala. They are all in agreement on that. When he has a question of whether he should play one of the young guys or not, he goes to them to ask, do you think they've earned it? And if they say no, Kerr's going to ride with them. And just know that Kaminga and Moody played the most minutes for the Warriors against the Pelicans that night. This is the former GM's perspective on what Kerr was doing. He wanted to demonstrate that he can't play his guys. When a, guy, when a coach doesn't believe in the hand his front office has dealt him, he's going to find a way to prove it. That's how GMs look at head coaches when they make certain decisions, when there's a disagreement. And this would be the first time that there might be any sort of disagreement or difference in perspective that I've heard of so far between Bob Myers and Steve Kerr. If indeed that's where the crux of it is, as opposed to, which is very possible and has existed before, a difference in view between Steve Kerr and Bob Myers versus Joe Lacob, the owner. Because Joe often has a view of how things should be that the basketball people don't necessarily agree with. And to this point, to Joe's credit, he has ultimately sided with the basketball people. But sometimes he has to have it proved to him. Bottom line, the Pelicans pummeled Kaminga and company, beating them by 45 points. New Orleans built a 20-point lead in the first quarter and never looked back. But since then, the Warriors have been a different team. Their defense has improved markedly. Yes, they couldn't stop the Dallas Mavericks and the one-man band that is Luka Doncic, but they were bottom five for the first month and a half of the season, and they moved up roughly five spots. That's still bottom 10 and not good enough to contend for a title, but it's moving in the right direction. And with all due respect to Draymond, all the guys he mentioned as good individual defenders are not. Either that or we have a different definition of what a good defender is, and I don't think we do. I think he was making a point. Clay right now is not a good defender. Moody and DiVincenzo put in the effort, but I'd list them as average defenders at best. The fact is, they once had three defensive stoppers, elite defensive stoppers, in Andre Iguodala, Clay Thompson, and Draymond Green. And now they have one, Draymond, and he can't do it full-time. Wiggins and Kaminga have the raw ability to be stoppers. And Wiggins is as, 
is as good of a two-way player as the Warriors have right now. But playing Draymond, Kuminga, and Kavon Looney together, which is what they would have to do to put their best defensive unit on the floor, is only going to work if they're protecting a lead. Because points are going to be hard to come by no matter how hot Steph Curry might be if you've got Draymond, Kaminga, and Loon on the floor at the same time. Which means it comes down to this. If the Warriors come up short this season, don't blame it on the punch. Yes, it created an added hurdle. But it isn't the only one they're dealing with this season, nor is it the biggest one. And it would appear that, at least for the time being, they found a way past it. Before I go, I want to give a shout out to Kendrick Perkins. I've taken Perk to task a number of times here on the pod for things he said, so it's only right that I acknowledge when he fearlessly says something that needed to be said. After the Lakers blew a 17-point lead at home to the Pacers a few nights ago, social media was full of critics hammering Russell Westbrook for the loss. And that mystified me to no end. Westbrook shot 3-for-6 in the fourth quarter and had one turnover. He made his only three-point attempt. He was a minus-7 in plus-minus, but the Lakers collectively were a minus-10 in the period. The guy at the heart of the collapse was LeBron James. He was the one Laker on the floor the entire 12 minutes of the fourth quarter. He took the most shots, eight, while only making two. He was guarded one-on-one by rookie Andrew Nemhard for most of the night, including the fourth quarter. And at one point, he got TJ McCollum on him and resorted to an off-balance step-back J, little point guard T.J. McConnell. LeBron took an off-balance step-back J from damn near the three-point line. Missed it. Badly. Nemhart, who hit the game-winning three, was also his assignment on that particular play. Now, considering the shot came after a scramble for a rebound off another missed shot, I'm going to say that happens. And of course... LeBron finished with a minus 10 in plus minus, having never come off the floor. Now, maybe what's most damning is that this was the first time LeBron was seeing rookie Benedict Matherin, who infamously questioned LeBron's greatness on draft night, saying that he had been told LeBron was great, but that he didn't believe anybody was greater than him, and LeBron would have to prove it to him. It's nights like this that make people like me reluctant to put LeBron in the same category as Kobe or Michael or even Steph at this point. Because too many times, when challenged, LeBron appears surprisingly docile, as if he doesn't want to acknowledge the challenge. And it's not always, but it's sometimes. And the times that Michael and Kobe were like that would be never. They never backed down from a challenge. They never pretended that they hadn't been challenged. Heck, they found, they manufactured challenges. Guys wouldn't even challenge them and they would say that they had. 
The stats aren't everything, of course, but Matherin outscored LeBron 23-21 and outright rebounded him 8-7, all while shooting a higher percentage. And he also played better D. Finished with a plus 7, as I said, to LeBron's minus 10. And Benedict also played the entire fourth quarter and outscored LeBron in that period 8-4. to four. On this one night, at least, Benedict could walk away rightfully saying that LeBron did not prove his greatness or superiority. All right, that does it for this episode of On the Ball on the United Wecast Network. I made it. We made it. I got through, and I did not have to pause once because of my voice. How about that? All right. Uh, Please rate and review the show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. I am thinking that in the next episode, and I am going to get to it, I promise, it will come out in the next couple days. As delicate as this might be, I feel a need to address what LeBron James brought up about the media. I was not there. The media not asking him about a photo of Jerry Jones. The Dallas Cowboys owner, seen in a photo when he was 14 or 15 years old. You know the photo that I'm talking about. You know the subject that I'm talking about. LeBron asked why he was asked about Kyrie Irving and wasn't asked about that photo. I want to discuss all of that, LeBron's relationship with the media, in effect. That will be in the next episode. Until then, as always. Thanks for listening. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.